Chris Martin admitting the song was developed after they'd listened to English art rock singer Kate Bush. Does sound a bit Kate Bushy, doesn't it? Song of the Year, the American Society of Composers, Authors and Publishers, or ASCAP, nominated twice at the 48th Grammy Awards. It won a Brit Award in the category of Best British Shingle. Uh, the track's music video nominated for four MTV Music Video Awards. Swedish Sound also notable as the billionth download from iTunes Store. Say that again. The billionth download from the iTunes Store. At, what is it? A dollar a song. We're in the wrong industry, I tell you what. All right. Now, to confirm uh, what I was telling you about snooker and color television, they are related, just exactly how you ask. Well, during uh, with the growth of color television, snooker became more famous. David Attenborough, you know, the guy from the wildlife TV shows? Well, back in 1969, he was the controller of BBC Two, and he commissioned a snooker tournament television series called Pot Black to showcase the potential of the BBC's new color television service. Green table, the multicolored balls provide an ideal opportunity to demonstrate the advances of the new broadcast technology. There we go. Became a rating success for a time the second most popular show on BBC Two behind Morecambe and Wise. It increased in the next decade, but it was because of color television. You see what I was saying? Back in 1969, it was a thing. And riding that wave has been my next guest, Mike Hines, has been playing snooker since 1962. You were just 17. Those must have been the good old days of snooker, hey, Mike? Oh, yes, no, they were good days. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, a lot of gambling going on, you know, among the, <laughs> the, the new little players. <laughs> it was real fun. Now, just Mike Heinz, thanks very much for joining us, by the way. Former professional snooker player. What are you doing at the moment? Well, I'm retired. I'm doing as little as possible. <laughs> nice. I, I, still, I still do coaching. You know, I've got an international uh, coaching certificate. Yeah. So occasionally I go up to the Wonders and I coach a few guys. Now, let's talk about snooker back in those days. As you said, there was a little bit of hustling going on, but was it... Was it like I imagine in my head or in the movies maybe with this big dark room, a whole lot of snooker tables around, lots of smoke billowing around? Was, was it like that? Well, in the 60s it certainly was. It was, um, I wouldn't say it was dark and dingy, but there was definitely a lot of smoke around. <laughs> and you had your, um, your punters sitting around the room, uh, punting on any game that might have been taking place. And obviously, if you were one of the players, you got into the punting as well. So <laughs> you uh, you made a couple of bucks here and there. How did you get to play snooker? You're you're not a tall man, and I've tried to play on some of the you know, the proper snooker table is huge. How did you get into the game? Well, it's a bit of a long story. I was um, I was brought up in Germiston, and I used to uh, my grandfather had a shop in in uh, Driuk in Germiston. Mm-hmm. Uh, at leather and harness shop and I used to go and help him there but I used to sneak off to Jermison Kelly's which was uh, as you may know is a, was a soccer a soccer mm-hmm. team in Jermison and I ended up playing uh, I was soccer mad in fact uh, wherever I went I had a ball and we, we used to play uh, I played for the Colts which was uh, we played curtain raiser to, to the main team mm-hmm. every week and after the match they always they all went along to a, a pub to go and play snooker. 
because they wouldn't let me play. They said, I'm new and I, I tear the cloth. <laughs> so I decided that I would go behind their backs and I went to a club in Germiston called Bell Sneaker Club and I started to play there. And I just had a flair for it. I, you know, I started in August. By December, there wasn't anybody in Germany that could beat me. So I just had that flair. Obviously, there was money to be made those days. <laughs> Every game you played, you, you played for money. So yeah. uh, that's what kept me going. Now, was that, that was billiards. It's different to snooker, right? No, that was snooker. Oh, okay. Snooker, snooker. Snooker, billiards. I learned to play billiards there because I used to watch... Two elderly gentlemen every Thursday evening used to come in and play billiards. Mm. And I used to watch them. And um, one day the one guy didn't turn up, so he asked me if I wanted to join. So I played, and that's how I got into billiards. Now, billiards is a fantastic game. It's, it really develops your sneaker. Because you, I don't know if you know, billiards is the, it was, it was those days, the two whites and one red. Yeah. The one white had a spot on it so that you knew whose white was whose. But in, in recent times, because of color de- de- television, they've um, introduced a yellow and a white ball. In other words, you, you might have the yellow ball, I might have the white ball. Now, the idea in billiards is that you, um, you go in off the red or in off the white. You go in off the pocket in snooker. If you go in off, you're going to lose points. In billiards, you gain points. And then there's what they call a cannon. If you, uh, your white or your yellow strikes both the other two balls, mm. you score points. And so you, you accumulate points. And in the uh, old days, we used to play for time. We would play, say, a half an hour or an hour. And whoever was ahead at, after that hour was the winner. But these days, we play um, to a particular score. For instance... 150 up, so the first one to get 150 mm. is the winner. Or 200, uh, whatever that might be. So because there were fewer balls, you had to play more strategically, so that helped your snooker game? Oh, definitely. Well, you, you learn to angle because uh, a cannon is when your ball strikes your opponent's white and, and the, uh, the red ball, uh. or the red ball and then the white. So you've got to... You've got to hit the white in such a way that wow, your white yeah. travels around the table and strikes the, the <laughs> red sure. in order to score. Sure. But, but, but what you do learn is that you start to put them together. So in other words, you are controlling three balls. Each shot you play, you control three hmm. balls. Hmm. And, okay. and as that opposed teaches to, you... Yes. That, I was going to say, as opposed to, to two balls... Yeah, as opposed to two balls, but a great snooker player is already thinking two or three shots down the line, aren't they? Well, three or four, five maybe. Oh, wow. Sure. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, would, put a, you would put a red, a red to get on a black, but mm. you position yourself on the black in such a way that you're going to get to another red, which you've already decided which it was going to be. And then you put yeah. the black and then you land on that red in, in such a position that you can get on another color. After that. 
All right, we we got to take a quick break. Uh, we uh, we uh, oh no, sorry, we don't. So we do, no, we got a little bit of time. So great, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Mike Hines is my guest. He's been playing snooker since 1962. Okay, so those were the good old days, Mike. Um, you say there was uh, snooker rooms all over, but that slowly changed to to pool tables because I guess you could fit two pool tables where one snooker table was. Much differently, and of course, the the popularity of of the of pool, where you get the young lads coming to play and the young girls come to play as well and they come to meet the boys and uh, hence the game has just developed unbelievably in fact. There's, there's women teams, you know, Stuka had one or two women teams, but with pool uh, you must have two, three, three dozen teams in, in, a, in a, a province. Pool is easier. Uh, the pockets are bigger, the balls are smaller. Oh yes, much easier. Well, the, the, in fact, the the, um, the the main ball, except for the white, the other balls are, are the same size as a snooker ball, oh, okay. but the white is smaller. Now, the the reason why the white was always smaller is because when you when you put a, a ball in a pool table, it disappears. You can't; it doesn't come out again. Otherwise, you'll get these. Uh, Little shush to taking the ball out and playing over and over, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, the idea was that if you potted the ball, it stayed down. Mm. But the white, because it was smaller, would go into the pocket and roll along a little groove and come out so that you could, you could carry on playing with it. And obviously, when all the reds or when all the balls have been potted, you've got to put some money into the machine to get the ball right. or the game going again. And okay, I think so that's was, the reason why the, the white yeah. ball was always smaller. So there was I'm more not money sure in whether they well. play with a, a bigger button. There was more money in pool for the people who owned it. Oh, yes, for the owner. Look, I, I, had, um, I had a snooker room in, in uh, Alberton. I had um, 11 snooker tables and 19 pool tables. And the, the, the youngsters used to queue up to play pool. And snooker, you only had a select few that played the snooker at that stage. But, right. um, yes? I, I want to run through your, your CV here a little bit, Mike Hines. Um, sure. as, as we said, 62 is when you started playing it. Four years later, you won your first tournament, Joburg and Districts Championship. The Wondrous Snooker and Billiards, you won 25 times. The, the, the what, snooker one. The Billiards, yeah. I won, I wouldn't say quite that many times, but... <laughs> could be close. <laughs> uh, eventually, they've just stopped counting here because it says you won the district, uh, Johannesburg and District Transvaal title a number of times. Uh, you're yeah, runner-up yeah. in two SA Snooker Champs. You won the SA Billiard Championship, two SA Masters Professional Snooker Tournament. Is there a tournament that you look back and go, I wish... Oh, you got Springwell Colors 74 as well. Is there something you look back and go, I wish I could have done that? Um, no, I've, you know, I've... Um I've done everything I wanted to do on the snooker table. In fact, it's, mm. although I'm still passionate and I still want to play, I think my, my age is catching up with me because I've started to get a bit of the jitters, if you know what I mean. Oh. You know, uh, when you get a golfer that's got the, uh, the yips when mm. he tries to putt, well, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm 76, so it's, uh, I suppose it's about time I started to... To slow down, but, but nevertheless, 
Uh, I do have a bit of a jitters, and it's, I don't play the game uh, that I used to. It okay. makes it awkward. Obviously, for some odd reason, snooker. Uh, I'm just thinking now. I, I just suddenly realised there's there's one of our famous snooker players, Pierre Muntz, or I knew him as Pity Muntz. Pity Muntz, that's it. Yeah. Why don't we have a massive amount of snooker or, or international pool players? Well, we do. From a snooker point of view, we used to have a lot of uh, snooker players travelling overseas. You know, I, I can mention at least ten or eight or ten that that, that used to go every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Piri was was a regular because he was in the top ten in the world. And and you had um, Silvina Francisco who, who went there in 1985. He, in his first attempt, he won the Dulux. Tournament, and I think it was seventy thousand pound that he won. So um, he became very wealthy all from snooker, because in in the in those days, in the professional snooker scene in England was sort of closed. There was only one hundred and sixty-four players, and I was lucky to get in. I was one of them. I I think my ranking was about number sixty-four, but. I would go. I was allowed to play every year in those tournaments. Mm. Hence the reason why I travelled to England for almost seven years in a row. I used to, I used to work in the bank, as you probably saw. But being a bank manager, I used to get 33 working days a year, so I could uh, I could afford to travel for that kind of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, I've been lucky enough to be to to go and. Uh, I didn't play. They wouldn't allow me to play on those Wanderers tables. And uh, I'm reading here on your CV that the Wanderers is one of the best places to play pool. They've got ten ta- uh, snooker, snooker. Sorry, snooker. They, they've they've got some of the best tables out there as well. And I've watched people play there, and it it really is beautiful to watch. How does one yeah. how does one make that transition, Mike, from from being a maybe a a, a pool player that that enjoys smacking a ball around or two in a bar to becoming a a, a, a snooker player? Well, as a matter of fact, there are, the snooker has become a, a bit of an attraction to a pool player. Once he's, um, he's become proficient with, snoo- with pool, he now wants to have the challenge of playing snooker. So we do have a lot of pool players coming to play snooker. In fact, it, it improves your pool play because you're playing on a big table, playing long shots on a smaller pocket, and when you go back to your pool table, <laughs> you are you you know you walk walk over everybody because you you're able to put the long balls, and the pockets are so much bigger. So we do have a lot of uh, pool players playing snooker. Mm. It's what I did find interesting is just just talking to this guy a long time ago was just this it, from from how you stand. I was standing completely wrong. You know, I bend down and I try and get my chin onto the onto the cue, like I see they do in the TV show. But my feet were wrong, my hips were wrong. It it does help oh, yes, to get no. some sort of training, doesn't it? Oh yes, no, definitely. Just a, you know, you just need a a guideline on how you, how you're going to stand because you know your your one foot would be pointing in a certain direction. If you if you're a right-handed player, in most cases, your left toe would be pointing more or less in the direction that you want to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, and your, right, your right foot, your cue, coming under your, your, your chin alongside your chest, would cross over your foot, your other foot. 
So that will give you an idea how modulus you've got to stand. And you've got to bend the front foot. In, in fact, you, you've got to have your, your weight slightly forward, uh, like a boxer. You know, a boxer, if, he's, um, if his weight is backwards, he, there's no way he's going to punch anybody out. He's got to have weight forward. Hence, uh, with, with snooker, you've got to have slight weight forward so that you, you're able to, to hit the ball with a bit of force if you want to. All right, my guest is Mike Hines, uh, former professional snooker player, started playing back in 1962. We're going to wrap up our chat with him and find out about the future of snooker in South Africa and what he feels as well. Happy 25th birthday, SABC Education. In celebrating the 25-year milestone, enter the Dream Beyond Your Boundaries competition. Tell us what your dream career is and why. Enter the competition through Twitter at SABC Education. Also Facebook, SABC Education, a standard chance to win prizes. Dream beyond your boundaries. Don't dream your life, live your dreams. SABC Education, enriching minds, enriching lives. Sport Tracks on SAFM. SAFM with John Karika. Living his dream was Mike Hines, been playing snooker since 1962. Uh, obviously, you, you didn't make a career out of playing snooker, did you, Mike? No, no. My career was a bank. I, you know, I yeah. spent my whole life in the bank. I, I spent 44 years there, in fact, mm. before I, I retired. So, so I, yeah, so I, I, it's still a minority sport, and if somebody wants to take it up, it, unless you're one of the big boys in England, you're probably not going to make a career out of it at the moment. No, but I must say that that the chaps in Durban is a chap named Cuban Woodley, mm-hmm. who has revived a, um, a semi-professional scene there, and uh, it's it's growing by the by the month. Although, um, as you may know, that. The last uh, 18 months, there's been mm. very little activity. In fact, um, so he, has, he started to have some tournaments, and they're being sponsored, which means these guys, if you, if you prepare to work at your game, and uh, you qualify, and you get into the, the top 16 there, you can, you can earn yourself some money. And okay. the, the idea is, I think, Cuban wants to have these tournaments every month, which means that if you can earn ten or twelve thousand a month, you know sure. it could be worth yeah. worth um, practicing and spending your time and, and maybe getting yourself a sponsor where you can put something on your lapel, mm. where you can get an extra thousand or two every month, and uh, so the game will definitely go. It's it's becoming more and more popular, but obviously the money is the important part of it. You can't you can't just give up. Uh, your work and and go and play snooker because you're not going to survive. What, what do you feel, Mike, when you look at these modern snooker players on telly and you see them wearing sponsors' logos on their on their waistcoats and things? Does, is that ruining the game? Should it stay traditional? White shirts, long sleeves, waistcoats. Well, look, they, they keep on. The younger snooker players want to revolutionise the game. They they don't want to wear bow ties, you know. They want to wear flashy waistcoats and they want to be able to wear these lapels even on their shirt. They're right. putting these logos on their shirts. So I suppose one has to go with the times, so to speak. Mm. Okay, how many, uh, how many perfect breaks have you had? I forget, what, what is it, 180? What, no, 147 is a perfect. I've never right. made a 147. I've made wow. a 140 and oh. I've missed the black. 
<laughs> and I've made a one, and yeah, and I've made a one forty four, but I must have made um, up until a certain stage. I was actually recording every hundred break I made, and wow. uh, I stopped recording when I reached one twenty nine. So I would imagine that I must have made about three hundred in my life total. Does that hurt you that you didn't get a one forty seven? Yes, most definitely, but not not every. Well, in South Africa, I only know one other person that got a one four seven. His name is Robbie Grace. Mm. And uh, other than that, I I don't know anybody else has made a one forty seven. Even Perry Munts, I don't think, has made yeah. a one forty seven. But he's made many, many hundreds, obviously. I've got a note here that it says up until January this year, there have only been 166 maximum breaks in professional competition in all the time of pool, 166. I mean, snooker. Yes, no, I can believe that. But you must remember now, um, if you look at chaps like like, uh, Judd Trump, he's he's made about 18. And uh, O'Sullivan, who... I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Everybody's heard of Ronnie O'Sullivan. Yeah, well, he plays left <laughs> and right-handed, and he's he's oh, made yeah. over a thousand centuries, and uh, I think he's on about twenty or thirty uh, maximums. Wow. So between them, they've already got thirty, forty percent of the <laughs> yes. total maximums ever made. Just so we got firm, if somebody's watching or listening to us now, that's red ball followed by black every single time. They're not hitting in, uh, and then they clear the colors, obviously. So it's it's yeah. not just red and then pink, because that's not going to get you 147. It's no, red, no, black, red, black, red, black, red, yeah. black, and then you get red, the colors black, in order. Red, black, yeah. amazing. So, Mike, um, it's, been, it's been great chatting to you. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I would love to chat to you yeah. forever. And um, you might have the yips, but you'd still beat me. So I think it's time for us to take on each other and see how we go. <laughs> okay, thanks, John. Mike Hines, Mike Hines, <laughs> my guest here on Sport Tracks. Snooker, it's a great sport. It is the most difficult sport I've ever done. And it's one of how many sports? One of two sports where the ball doesn't move when you hit it in the world. Think about it. What's the other one? Golf. Golf and snooker slash billiards slash pool, the ball doesn't move. Otherwise, the ball is always moving when you hit it. Cricket, baseball, uh, polo, you name it, the ball is moving. It's one of the few sports where the ball doesn't move, and it's still very, very difficult. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps just thinking.